Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. This is the week of November 30th. Regular season's in the books. Clemson Tigers are 12-0. Gamecocks are still classless and newly coachless. And life is good. Uh, welcome, guys. You all know what to do. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform uh, so you never miss a show. You can stay tuned um, to all the things happening on the podcast here. We've got, obviously, some big games coming up on the football side that we're going to be previewing and recapping. Um, we have some exciting interviews also lined up, so uh, make sure you're you're all tuned in and subscribing to us um, on SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, in this week's show, or in this show uh, today that you're listening to, we are going to recap the South Carolina game. We're going to take a look at scores that happened over the weekend in college football. Obviously, there are a ton of coaching changes and implications that definitely warrant some discussion. Uh, we'll take a look at the polls, and then we'll end up today talking about Clemson basketball and soccer, uh, both of which have some exciting updates. So before we get into that, um, I'm joined here with Ben today. Ben, what are we drinking? Well, um, to kind of counteract all that tryptophan and the turkey you probably have left over in your fridges from Thanksgiving, which we hope everybody had a good one, um, we've got a Napa Smith from Napa Smith Brewery out here in the Napa Valley, um, a Hop Java Coffee Ale. Um, it's a lot different than a lot of the hop beers I've had, or the, sorry, the coffee beers that I've had before. It does have a little kick of hops, um, uh, but it's, it's a pale, you know, it's not as dark as you would normally think from a coffee ale, and it's really good. It's got a nice, subtle coffee taste. It kind of reminds me a little bit of, uh, the, the Morpho from a bar called Woods out here, uh, mm. in San Francisco. What do you think? Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I think Morpho's has, they're going with more of a citrus angle, but, uh, this is, this is tasty. As far as I can taste it, uh, that is. But uh, definitely, I like the hops with the coffee flavor. Uh, it's good stuff. Yeah, you have a bit What's, of a cold right now, so I didn't yeah. know if you'd be able to taste it, which means I'll have a cold uh, on Wednesday when we uh, uh, look forward to the North Carolina game, because that's how colds work for those of you who didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. Um, but otherwise, yeah, a good beer, you know. had um, You had one of my buddies from South Carolina spend Thanksgiving with him out here. And he let me know that actually, you know, stuff like Lagunitas and um, Racer 5 from um, Bear Republic um, and other kind of breweries that are out this way are actually prevalent in South Carolina. You can get a hold of them. So I think, you know, as, as long as we can't get a hold of a lot of East Coast beers out here, we may try to introduce some uh, West Coast beers that you're not too familiar with on the East Coast or if um, you are able to find it in maybe a beer store, um, you know, keep your eye out from something unique that we can maybe give you a good recommendation on. Um, yeah, maybe we'll put up on Twitter a few of our favorites from the West Coast. You guys can go check that out. Yeah, and at the same time, again, we'd love to to know some good quality East Coast beers that are maybe big on certain areas of the East Coast, but they just don't uh, distribute. Because uh, we can always go to our local beer stores around here, and we're always on the lookout for uh, something new and interesting, um, and not just the East Coast, anywhere across the country. Yeah, on this end of the table, I'm drinking a... Uh, Tangerine emergency uh, vitamin <laughs> C powder packet. Bit bit uh, effervescent, not quite the metamucil fibery taste um, that you're used to, but yeah, trying to kick this cold. 
Um, I'm on the tail end, Ben. I don't think I'm contagious, but I'm sure that's just BS. So, um, well, just apologies. letting you guys know, we're committed to bringing you quality Clemson talk every week. Come, come, hell or high water, cold right. or cold or no cold. Of course, you wouldn't miss this one given the South Carolina game. That's right. Well, before we get into that, uh, why don't we take a look at the scoreboard from this last weekend? Uh, Rivalry week never fails to entertain. Uh, quite a few awesome games. Um, I started out watching that uh, TCU Baylor game on Friday, and that was I'm sorry, that was Saturday night. Um, that was Friday. Oh, sorry, it was Friday. Get my days mixed up. It was a long weekend. And um, super long weekend. I mean, what a slog of a game. They put all their points up in the first quarter, and then went something like you know forty. Three minutes of game time without scoring, um, and then overtime comes around and they get back to their high power offensive ways. But um, that game was interesting. That basically knocked Baylor out of playoff contention. That made the Bedlam game the following night effectively a national play-in. Maybe we'll start with that one. Um, Oklahoma just put it on their rivals, Oklahoma State Cowboys, right away. They came away with a fifty-eight to twenty-three victory. Um, you know, I think a lot of people were big on Oklahoma coming into this game. But if they lost their rival, they were pretty much going to be eliminated. That was never in play at this game. Um, Baker Mayfield, actually, he's a Heisman candidate quarterback over there. He didn't really have all that great of a game. I think this was a game punctuated by their running back play. And um, they just had a dominant defensive effort, too. So Oklahoma may well be, at this point, the most complete, you know, high-octane team in the country. And I feel like they punched their ticket to the playoff. Yeah, they have really come storming into the playoff discussion. Uh, but they are, of course, Oklahoma, and we see this uh, every year from Oklahoma. Then they get into a, a big bowl game, and they they pull a they pull a Bob Stoops, and the same thing happened last year against Clemson in um, in the bowl game. So, uh, yeah, I think this is typical of Oklahoma. We knew that the Big Twelve was going to start to cannibalize themselves at the end of the year, and that one team was going to have to uh, you know shine through. And in this case, that's Oklahoma. I think they've solidly punched their ticket. Uh, and deservedly so. You know, the only loss that they have, speaking of rivalry weekend, is to their, really, I think, even bigger than Oklahoma State rival in, in Texas. A bad Texas team, but still, it's a rivalry game, and a lot of crazy things can happen in rivalry games. Especially at a neutral site like that one. I mean, it was a terrible loss to a terrible team. It's definitely a, an aberration on their schedule, but it is rivalry, like you said. Um, elsewhere, the Iron Bowl happened. Alabama-Auburn was, I think, Auburn was down six or something at halftime, and um, which was effectively a win for them. Uh, Alabama only won by 16. You know, did not have as big of a dominant performance. I think Derrick Henry pulled away at the end. He kind of got a garbage time touchdown there. This was, you know, almost a one score game before that happened. So uh, I w- I almost wouldn't go so far as to say Alabama struggled with Auburn, but they certainly did not put up a, another gaudy score like they did against Charleston Southern. Um, and I don't think they've done any. They've done enough to um, wrest that number one ranking spot away from Clemson. At no, this point. no, I don't think so either. I, you know, initially after our game against South Carolina, I would have had no issues with Alabama jumping us had they gone in and obliterated Auburn. Well, they didn't do that, and the the score ultimately at the end of the game, the 16 point win, it was really closer than that. I, I think for most of the game. So at this point, Alabama being a one loss team in a very weak overall SEC. I don't think that warrants them jumping us at all. Um, but again, you know, this is a rivalry game, a big rivalry game in state. We've talked about this before. Um, you know, a lot of things can happen. And just to come out of it, and we'll talk about this here in a little bit, but just to come out with a win, uh, that, that's really all you can ask for. 
Um, elsewhere, there are a couple important games to note in the Big Ten. Uh, actually, three of them. Ohio State blew away Michigan at home um, in the first meeting between Urban Meyer and Jim Harbaugh. Um, Ohio State, though, it turns out, didn't have too much to play for. I mean, yes, they're they're kind of lingering in that on the fringes of the playoff discussion. But um, that being said, Michigan State took care of business against Penn State. Um, number five, Michigan State won fifty-five to sixteen. They are now in the Big Ten championship, and I really don't see Ohio State sneaking back in unless you just get all hell breaking loose this coming weekend in the championship games. Um, and then elsewhere, undefeated Iowa remained undefeated at Nebraska. A lot of people circled that as a potential upset. They only won by eight, so one score game at the end, but they had this game pretty much the whole way through. Nebraska kept shooting themselves in the foot. Mike Riley, you know, he's a former coach in the NFL, former coach at Oregon State. He looks like he's out of his element there in Lincoln with Nebraska. I would not be surprised to see him on the hot seat next year. Um, and they just did not take care of business against Iowa. Iowa, they could be very good. Um, or they could be very bad. We just don't know. They haven't really played at any competitive teams. I think in the advanced stats, there's something like 32nd in the country. Meanwhile, they're going to have like a number three or number four ranking this week, you know, and potentially make the playoffs. So... I hope Clemson gets them in round one of that playoff. Uh, well, first, you know, we, we have one game to play to get into that playoff, but I agree with you. I think I was a fraud, and I think that will be exposed when they play Michigan State um, in the Big Ten uh, championship game. Let me ask you this, you know, we talked about <laughs> Ohio State being on the fringes now of the, the playoff discussion, but between Iowa and Michigan State, one of these teams is going to make it in. There's no way two Big Ten teams make it into the college football playoff. If no SEC team gets in... Or if Clemson loses to North Carolina, knock on wood. But I think uh, North Carolina could jump Ohio State. Uh, potentially. I mean, I think the, the bylaws of the committee say that unless there's unequivocally a team that is a top four team in the country, like they'll reserve the right to look beyond like the you got to have a conference championship. So um, I think it would only happen if it was like that second team from a conference. I just, yeah, I just really don't. I think it's a total long shot and you would probably need um, one, if not both, of the SEC ACC champions, or on paper champions, to lose this weekend. Yeah, and I, I still think it's it's you know to see how many Big Ten teams are ranked in the top twenty-five. It's still a head scratcher to me. I know there's a lot of teams with one or two losses. I think their schedules overall have been pretty weak. Um, but obviously, one's going to get in this year. I just I have a hard time buying that it would be two. Um, and talking about you know an SEC team getting left out, that would mean. Alabama loses to Florida in the SEC championship game this week, and Florida coming off a two-point performance against FSU. It's almost more more insulting to to lose twenty-seven to two than it is twenty-seven to nothing. I think. Well, and Florida's got an awesome defense. They're the they're the ones who scored the points in this game. No, yeah, yeah, I, I totally get it. That's what I'm saying. I right. still think it's no, almost it's so <laughs> it's, it's almost more embarrassing to see a two up there. Right. And that's all you can muster with your defense put up a two spot. Yeah, I mean, this game was all about Dalvin Cook for me. Uh, he had an incredible performance. He's the best running back in the country right now. Like, hats off to you, Derrick Henry, but you're running behind the best line ever. Um, whereas I think Dalvin Cook is getting a lot of the sun on his own. FSU has turned over that line entirely the last two seasons, especially this year. Um, and he's really the only offensive shot that they've got. So um, kudos to Florida State. They're After that Clemson loss, they're shaping up. You know, if they, um, they're shaping up where, depending where the chips fall at this ACC championship game, they could be playing in a New Year's Six Bowl, like a former BCS Bowl, uh, potentially. 
So yeah, the Peach Bowl. Uh, they could certainly be. I, I can see North Carolina losing and, and Florida State going ahead of North Carolina. Both teams would have two losses and UNC with one really bad loss to South Carolina, although you could say that uh, the Florida State's loss to Georgia Tech is also a very bad loss. Um, but but FSU is, is a more... <coughs> well, they're a bigger it, brand. And it's a sexier yeah, team. Exactly. Um, and you know their fans are going to travel to Atlanta. Not to say the North Carolinas won't, but it's, it's just a, a sexier uh, brand. Um, now... Yeah. How about the ACC going 3-1 and one against the SEC over the weekend? Yeah, and if you add that to last year's, I believe, 4-0 performance yeah. in rivalry week, I mean, it's pretty impressive. And it didn't start out that way. I think, uh, let's see, who was the third team here? Um, well, Georgia Tech lost to Georgia. Right, and they, they were down the whole game there. Yeah. Unfortunately. Louisville beat Kentucky. Right. Yeah, Louisville had to come back, I think, down 21 to nothing, uh, and they, they just put it on Kentucky once they – Realize their destiny, and they went back to their uh, fleet of foot quarterback. But, yeah, great to see for the ACC. Um, clearly, the SEC East is an inferior division of a conference that's down anyway. So we're seeing that with the number of coaching open openings over there. And Do you think the SEC East is worse than the ACC Coastal? Man. I think they, I think they could be. I actually feel like the ACC Atlantic has a lower floor than the ACC Coastal. Yeah, I, mean, I think the ACC Coastal is probably more balanced. Right, there's a bigger throughout. cluster in the in the yeah. the mediocre to above average teams. The Atlantic is just you know feast or famine. You've got Clemson, Florida State at the top, Louisville like lingers, but yeah, that's about um, it. That's about it. Then you got Syracuse and Wake. So yeah, I don't know SEC East versus Coastal. I mean, I think this year it's probably an even match overall. It's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how the bowl season plays out and how <coughs> each conference's records end up at the end of it. Um, you know, maybe we take away the, the playoffs and maybe, well, no, even include those in the elite games. But you know, top to bottom of the conferences, see how they stack up against each other and against other conferences throughout the country, because the SEC is not what they used to be. Um, the 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 playing field has been leveled. There's a lot of parity in college football, and as you know, long as you know, ESPN is going to try to hold onto the SEC. Uh, being the premier conference in college football just because they made a what's now looking like a very poor uh, TV think, deal with them. Yeah, I think they were just a few years too late on that train. Um, CBS had the big contract where they were, they were broadcasting almost every SEC game there in the mid-2000s when that CC was winning every single national championship. So. Well, and things were always going to change. They weren't going to be great forever. I mean, they came up with a brand of football that was winning there for a while, but then other teams across the country started started adapting. Now the SEC, they don't have quarterbacks, and quarterbacks are what you know are winning uh, are now going to be winning national championships, and they, and they can't recruit quarterbacks. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, we'll see how that continues. I mean, you're going to see some coaching changes. We'll get that get to that in a moment here, but. Um, yeah, it's a conference in flux at the moment. You're starting to see some of the stalwart coaches, you know, either get kind of pressured to leave or get get let go. So, um, before we move on to the coaching carousel, let's just touch on one other high impact national relevance game. Uh, number nine Stanford hosted Notre Dame, uh, who was number six at the time in the AP. Um, they're they're also on the outside looking into the playoff rankings, and might, maybe rightfully so. Um, this was an, you, you went to this game, Ben. I mean, I thought it was an incredible football game. It's just a kind of neutral party fan to watch. You know, a lot of people are saying, oh, you're a Clemson fan. You should be pulling for Notre Dame. It's going to make our strength of schedule look better. I don't know. I mean, uh, number one, like, I don't know that we need any help at this point. 
and I don't know if Notre Dame winning there. The only only reason we're going to need strength of schedule help is if we lose to North Carolina, and I think if we do that, we're not getting in the playoffs. No, because North Carolina would jump us. So I, I think at this point that it's irrelevant. The strength of schedule doesn't really matter, although yeah. it is nice to see that what three ACC teams in like the top ten of the AP, the Notre Dame is right right up there as well. Yep, and pretty much I think sooner than later we'll see them join the ACC as a as a full member. Um, but yeah, it was it was my first time down in uh, Palo Alto, going uh, visiting the Stanford campus and going to a Stanford game. It, I gotta say, What'd it was you a, think? it was a very weird experience. First off, the tailgating, you're right. There's a lot of wine all over the place. I was. Um, I was kind of impressed by how many people they had out there. The parking lots were full. Yeah. Um, got into the game though, and like the I was sitting on the Notre Dame side. So the first thing I do is I, I walk. Uh, I'm walking through the uh, through the bleachers to my seat, and uh, of course uh, Notre Dame looks at me. Uh, Notre Dame fan looks at me, sees my Clemson shirt, and is like, "Come on, you got to be kidding, Clemson!" And there's nothing I could do but look at him and just, you know, pull my jacket open to reveal C-L-E-M-S-O-N and just hold up number one, you know, and just quieted him right down. So, I, I was just there to mind your own business, you know. I was in there to enjoy the game. I was guess I was kind of rooting for Notre Dame. I was there with one of my uh, good buddies who's a Notre Dame fan, but really weird atmosphere. Stadium wasn't really that loud until the, near the end of the game. Even the Notre Dame fans weren't really that loud when things were going well for them. I remember one point near the end of the game, they had just scored to, to, to go up. And I'm looking around, and their Stanford fans were just smiles on their faces, looking like they have no idea what's going on. Um, completely different college football atmosphere than you'd, you'd find at Clemson or anywhere in the South. I mean, I've been to some games on the West Coast, like Autzen Stadium for Oregon. University of Washington has a really good atmosphere. Stanford's unique. Like, look at their marching band. Look at their mascot. Look at their... I mean, it is it is a unique bird. It's a unique brand out there. Um, you know, I respect their football program, what they've done in the past few years, going back to the Jim Harbaugh days. But And their coach, their current coach is really yeah, good. David Shaw is solid. Yeah, yeah buddies with Dabo, but... Uh, yeah, it's not a it's not a football lovers paradise by any stretch. I'll give it to their small student section. They were really into the game, um, and they rushed the field at the end of it uh, and showed a lot of enthusiasm. Uh, so I mean, they did have that, and again, the stadium was full and it got it got loud at the end. But yeah, n- nothing like Death Valley. Um, well, yeah, rivalry week was a lot of fun. Um, a lot of shifting going on. We'll see. We've got the the polls this week. Uh, Clemson remained number one in the AP and the coaches. Tomorrow night, Tuesday night, uh, we will get the college football playoff committee rankings. I don't expect too much change at the top, Clemson and then Alabama. Probably see Oklahoma retain that number three spot. Uh, But let's see who slides into number four, if they feel like Michigan State's done enough to earn that, if they're kind of seeding Iowa in at that point. Um, But I think it's, it's among those two teams going into the final weekend. Yeah, it's, there's really no elite team this year that's been from the beginning of the year to the end, head and shoulders above everybody else. Uh, there's close games every single week. I don't think anybody's really separating themselves from the pack. You know, we talked about Oklahoma coming on late uh, and making a push into the into the playoff run, but it's hard to tell right now. I mean, and that's the great thing about the playoffs is that these teams are just going to have to get in there. Whoever the top four are, they need to get in there and play each other, and then we'll really be able to find out. But Again, it really at this point in the season, you're looking into <coughs> who's been improving as the season has gone along. And I can look at teams like Oklahoma has definitely done that. Alabama seems to have fallen a little bit flat for me. I'm not sure if they've been improving. Um, other teams in the top, maybe Michigan State. 
Uh, Clemson, we, we've improved on offense, so we've taken a step back on defense, and special teams has just been kind of neutral. Uh, so I, it's it's hard to tell right now. The polls will be the polls again. I think we should remain number one when the playoff rankings come out tomorrow night, just based on our body of work, and nobody else has really done anything that impressive. So, man, we'll just, we'll just have to see what happens. Let me ask you a hypothetical. Let's say we do win against North Carolina this week. Let's say Alabama blows out Florida. Let's say we convincingly win. I'm talking about like a 13, 14 point North Carolina win. Um, win against North Carolina. Do you see the playoff committee doing anything to try to like tee up specific matchups in the semifinals? Like if they're like to oh, like shift around. Yeah, they're like, oh, we want to see like Alabama, Oklahoma, a rematch of that Sugar Bowl from three years ago or two years ago. Um, do they try to tee that up for the championship game and split? Clint, maybe put Clemson, Alabama first. Um, well, I, I don't see how they could legitimately put Alabama first, especially if we convincingly beat North Carolina. Hell, even if we just barely beat North Carolina, because again, yeah, no again, twenty-seven to two. Florida just lost twenty-seven to two. I don't care how bad Alabama beats Florida; they don't deserve to jump us if we win. Yeah, I guess what you're saying is like it'll be tough for them to justify getting us out of that top spot. Yeah, just win, baby. That's all it's going to take at this point. We got to win one more game. We'll remain number one. There's really nothing I, I think that can uh, take us out of that spot as long as we win. Yeah, and when I look at it, I mean, last year Alabama was the number one seed. They they got uh, the luxury of facing Ohio State. I don't think being the one seed, you know, this year we'll see if Iowa makes makes it through or not. But um, I don't think there's any like added benefit there being the one seed. I think everyone would rather go to Miami for this versus Dallas potentially, but. Um, I don't see them putting Oklahoma anywhere but Dallas in terms of where their fans are. Listen, at the end of the day, and I don't know how much closer Miami is than Dallas. Really, Miami's a long ways down there. Um, but Got a it, lot of players from Florida, though. That is true, and that's a good point. So it's kind of, you know, you get a lot of your family in there. But at the end of the day, you got to be the best team in the country. Doesn't matter who you play. you got to be the yeah. best team in the country to win the national championship. So be it, you know, Alabama, uh, Oklahoma, uh, Michigan State, should they squeak in, or Iowa. It, it doesn't matter. You have to be the best team, and it, it'll play out on the field. Indeed. Well, uh, let's flip it over to the coaching carousel that's been going on. Um, University of Georgia let go Mark Richt over the weekend after 15 above-average years, really, in Athens. Um, he won the SEC twice, never got over the hump of the national championship, and uh, apparently a three-loss season is just not good enough for those fans. So, um I guess sad to see him go. He's, I thought, a great coach. But um, in the SEC right now, I think it's championships or bust. So Yeah, he was really the probably best, better side of Tommy Bowden is, is really the highest that he was ever really able to achieve. So I'm not surprised after all this time of, of decent success, but overall nothing really uh, stands out to you as, you know, of him taking that program anywhere. So uh, not surprising. I think at a certain point you need to, you need to really, you know, Cut the, you know, cut him and let him go, and then move on. Yeah, I mean, anytime you know your coach is not the man, you got to move on. But um, I've got a number of Georgia fan friends, and it's kind of split down the middle here. I think a lot of them were panning Ricked earlier in the year with the Alabama game, um, and some other kind of lackluster performances they had against like Missouri and those guys. But um, ultimately, people are eager to see who they can 
replace him with. I just don't know if this is the year to move on from Richt, considering the coaching openings elsewhere in the country. Well, we would have thought that a couple weeks ago um, with all the other open jobs, but with now Les Miles uh, being retained at LSU, which everybody thought he was going to be gone for sure, and then uh, Southern Cal uh, today making interim uh, coach Mark Helton their official head coach after finishing out the year pretty well, uh, winning their division in the Pac-12 and taking over for uh, Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, those are two high-profile jobs that look to be on the table that are now taken off. So you now look at the available jobs left. You have Georgia, South Carolina, Miami, Missouri, and Maryland. Now we're hearing Maryland possibly <coughs> has been speaking with Mark Richt. Uh, I think when you look at those, UGA and Miami stand out to me as the two best jobs. Yeah, definitely. Virginia Tech hired Memphis coach Justin Fuente, uh, so he's no longer out there. And we're even hearing reports that um, Tom Herman – will not be going to South Carolina. He's looking at staying at Houston and continuing to build that program there in the American Conference. So, yeah, I mean, I think Miami is probably the maybe the highest profile job. I wouldn't call it the best job. I, I, I actually think, think Georgia is the best job. Yeah, I would agree. I think Georgia is the best job. I think with the fan base they have there, um, you know, Athens. SEC East. SEC East, like, which is up for grabs right now. Uh Considering how bad the teams are in that division, it's fertile recruiting <coughs> ground, especially there in the state of Georgia. You you can pull recruits from South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. Um, Athens is a great college town. You have a, a loyal fan base. Yeah, I think that's clearly the best um, job opening uh, that remains right now. Miami being second. Miami is just a mess though with their administration, with lack of funding, stadium and facility situation. Um, but they have history. Know, they have history. They've got players that want to talk a big game and former players that want to talk a big game and be meddling in the program, but meddling in the program. But, I, you know, Would you what, what good did that do for Al Golden? Well, Al Golden, by, I mean, Al Golden was in a tough situation. He had to come in and be a nice guy. He was cleaning up after big scandal after scandal yeah. there at that school. Uh, but if you're a head coach now, uh, or you're one of the up-and-coming head coaches, do you, do you want to go coach in Miami, Florida, or Columbia, South Carolina? Yeah, uh, it's really no question. Which 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 division? Well, let's leave which town is better. Uh, you know, aside for now, but you know, the, the Miami's still a good job. The ACC is a up and coming good football conference with the programs that we have in there, and the ACC Coastal is a very winnable division. Yeah, it's it's wide open. It should be Miami's division ever since we brought them over. It should be them and Virginia Tech year after year. Instead, you've had Duke, North Carolina, and even Georgia Tech kind of mess around and win that one. So. Whereas in the SEC, um, you know, whoever comes into Georgia, they're probably not going to hire anyone but a heavy hitter. You've got Florida on the rise with Jim McElwain. Um, you got one of the stoops even at Kentucky doing some things. And Tennessee, who knows where they'll be in a couple years. So I think that South Carolina job will continue to stay vacant. Uh, they might overpay someone like Alabama defensive coordinator Kirby Smart has been rumored. But uh, I think the number of talented in-demand coaches – is a far smaller number than the number of vacancies at the moment. Yeah, I mean, and when we talk about these other four jobs that are open, um, well, you got the UGA job, so obviously we talked about that one. But, but then between that, Miami, well, yeah, Missouri, we don't put Syracuse here either. And I don't want to call Syracuse like <laughs> it's not a storied program, but you know, it's a it's a northern school. They could potentially get you know someone that caters more to that that market and that that area. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I intentionally left Syracuse <laughs> off the list. Um, Fair enough. Fair <laughs> I think enough. it's even worse than South Carolina, but I could make an argument that the South Carolina job is is definitely worse than Miami, but possibly also worse than Missouri or Maryland. 
I yeah, mean, Missouri's actually, I mean, done stuff in college football. Maryland, Maryland's yeah. the poor man's Oregon at this point. They've got the backing of Under Armour. Um, they're in the D.C. market. They're in the Big Big Ten now. Um, I think they're in the more difficult division of the Big Ten with Ohio State, Penn State, Mar- uh, Michigan, and Michigan State. But at the same time, I think Maryland, yeah, probably a better job than South Carolina. So, yeah, I, I, I just wonder, will South Carolina be able to come out of this with a decent coach? Um, you know, the, the, the legends are almost gone. Who do they go to? Frank Beamer, Mac Brown, bring Newt Rockney back to, to coach South Carolina. No, they're going to, they did invent the forward pass, <laughs> shake off some of that, some of that dust and get them out there. No, uh, listen, it's, it's probably going to be a young guy. I don't know if they will be able to lure Kirby smart. We'll see what happens down there, but <coughs> that is by no means an attractive job. Look, just hire Lane Kiffin, get it over with. Let's move on. I think it's a match made in heaven. Yeah, he'll stay there for a year until Les Miles is, is fired next year, and he'll run away for LSU. Could could well be. Um, well, enough enough chat about what's been going on elsewhere. Let's get into Clemson football. Uh, we had a rivalry game. We won thirty-seven to thirty-two. South Carolina scored a garbage time touchdown um, to narrow the the victory margin to five, but. Um, this is a kind of a sloppier game than we had anticipated. I predicted a 51-3 to blowout. Uh, didn't quite see that materialize um, yet. I mean, our, our offense kind of started slow. It was a scoreless first quarter across the board. Um, mistakes, turnovers, et cetera, uh, to start. But we did go up 14-0 in the second quarter. I think if we had been able to muster a third, third touchdown going up 21-0, we would have broken their spirit and gotten their fans out of the game. That did not come to be, and it ended up 14-3 to at half. Um, turnovers kept their fans in the game and kept their, their team motivated. And, um, you know, I think the defense on our side had a good first half, but slowed down the stretch. Um, turnovers will do that to you. It'll, it'll mean you have much less rest time, give you a short field, and just kind of, you know, raise tensions among the team. So, um, you know, I guess good to see the defense sort of recuperate from that, but Allowing 32 points is something that this team does not do. This defense does not do. I mean, you could talk about a rivalry week, but um, this is something that, yeah, is definitely a, a concern of mine. Yeah, especially to a really bad offensive team. I don't, even, I don't care if it's a rivalry game on the road. Um, when we went up 14 to nothing in the second quarter, I, I know we started slow, uh, some of that due to turnovers, but I really thought we were running right away with it at that point. I thought that's when the game had turned, and it was going to become the blowout that we thought it was going to be. Um, but those turnovers killed us. I mean, otherwise, we played pretty smart football. There was only one penalty for us yeah. uh, on the day, but those three turnovers, which could have been more, um, especially that Artavis Scott, um, he had one fumble, and then, I believe, and then he had the other one, which could have very well been a fumble had it not been, I guess, overturned on replay. Uh, so that that was the tail of the game, and that's why it was so close. Um you know what? At the end of the day, though, yeah, there was a lot of things I was disappointed in. I was really excited coming into this game, thought we were going to be able to blow them out, and really looking forward to that. But listen, it's always good to beat your rival, uh, your rival, especially on the road, and no matter how you do it. Um, and this just really drives home for me. It's really hard to go 12-0 and and be the number one team in the country. I mean, it gives you a new appreciation for that. I mean, surely for the players, we don't know what position they're in because obviously we've never been there before. But for the fans, 
wow, every game that's close and any possibility that you might lose, especially to a really bad South Carolina team and have the possibility of them uh, ending your your perfect... I mean, there was a point in this game where I, I thought that we might beat ourselves and they could beat us. And I had this... You know, this feeling in my stomach that wasn't good and I haven't felt in a very long time. Um, I don't know if I wasn't watching closely enough or what, had too many beers, but I did not get that feeling. I felt like the, the difference maker for us has been and, and will be Deshaun Watson. And even in moments against NC State, Syracuse, whomever, even Louisville or Notre Dame, um, always having confidence in number four and what he can do. And he showed up yet again on Saturday, um, down the stretch, got us a touchdown drive when we needed it, ran the ball in himself, took a pretty pretty mean shot there, getting into the end zone. But, um, yeah, Deshaun, I think, was the other story of this game. I think uh, he prevailed despite kind of a, a mockery of offense going on around him. Um, and that was, that was awesome to see. And he continues to be um, – kind of had a slow start to the season, but has built up his confidence – um, as the weeks have progressed, and I, I think he's looking way more confident and poised in the pocket, and he's picking his battles well with running the running the ball. I, I only can remember two or three plays where I was like, man, he should not have taken that hit or should not have run for that. Um, his timing's really good. He's reminding me more and more of Cam Newton, who I know is his mentor um, at the quarterback spot. Yeah, I mean, you know, watching this game, there's a lot of correctable mistakes uh, that can be made, but I just look at this team and think about the talent we have now and the ton of talent coming back next year. Uh, of course, we still have every opportunity to win a national championship this year, but to be able to make that many mistakes and still you know, <coughs> beat them, I know the, the final score didn't uh, make it seem as if it was, um, you know, a, a, it was a closer win than it really was, uh, but just looking at this team and how much talent we have, it, it's amazing. And yeah, you're right, Watson is really special. He makes it look so easy that sometimes I forget how hard that job is to be a quarterback um, and how lucky we are to have this guy, you know, under center for us. Well, it's crazy. He's a sophomore. I mean, we're getting next yeah. year out of him. Um, it's going to be incredible. It, yeah, of- yeah. He's going to be even better next year than he is this year. And we're talking about he can win a Heisman Trophy legitimately this year. If he has a really good game against North Carolina, it could, it could almost be in the bag for him. Yeah, that could seal it. Um let me ask you, I mean, the way the way the game went down, I didn't necessarily think that South Carolina made many missteps from a coaching standpoint, but uh, Sean Elliott is no Steve Spurrier as a tactician, as a, a play caller, and as a kind of, you know, in, with scheme or a motivator. I mean, if Spurrier were coaching this game, do you think the way it played out, he could have stolen one from Clemson? Yeah, you know, and I thought about that because uh, Steve Spurrier has shown in the past that he may not have a better team than Clemson, but he's been able to, him and his coaching staff have been able to outcoach Clemson. And it did cross my mind uh, in the game on Saturday that with as, as bad as we were playing at times and as close as that game got and how close an inferior <coughs> team uh, played us, I did think, what if he was coaching? Could he have coached that team up to a victory over us? I think it's a very real possibility that we could have seen that happen. Yeah, I do too. Um, I mean, as much as I hate to say it. I mean, I, I also think our players would have had a different way of preparing for this game, whereas they're kind of going up against a 1-4 and four interim coach. Um, a team. I don't think South Carolina would have lost to the Citadel. I think it would have been in a completely different atmosphere. But uh, anyway, um, 
Well, let's sort of get into maybe some of what we saw from a review standpoint. <clears throat> um, when Clemson had the ball on offense, any thoughts you have about, let's start with the coaching and the play calling. Um, it seemed to me that whenever Deshaun went back to pass, he was just picking them apart. Down the field, I think if plays more than 10 yards, I think he was perfect on his completions um, and had well over 100 yards and that amazing, beautiful touchdown to Deion Kane, where I thought the South Carolina defender actually quit on that play, which, I mean, how can you do that on a, on a bomb like that? But I think Deion Kane just moved him out of the way and caught the ball. I mean, that, that was a thing of beauty. Um, but yeah, you talk about that deep ball. Was there another deep ball all game? <coughs> Like, we were asking ourselves throughout the game, like, why aren't we throwing it more? And just in general, I mean, I thought Jordan Leggett got his over the middle. Um, Jermon Hopper looked pretty good as well one more week. So but they were all really timely throws, like, on thirds, third downs. Yeah. Um, it, didn't, it was really situational. Like, we were so committed to the run. We weren't attacking in the passing game, which right. was very curious to me. And you're right. Um, we were committed to that run and controlling the, the, the game on the ground. Uh, the turnover, and you know, if there weren't turnovers, we wouldn't be questioning this, right? Yeah. Um, give give Gallman the ball. Let Deshaun Watson run. You know, we had two guys, two rushers over 100 yards between Gallman and, and Watson. So clearly, uh, that that game plan was working as long as we don't have the turnovers. And you know, you know, maybe we weren't trying to open up the playbook again. We know we're playing in an inferior team. We're about to have three really good quality teams that we go up up against. Why show them everything? Um, but, you know, with those turnovers early on and the interest of keeping Deshaun Watson healthy, um, I really thought maybe we should open up the passing game a little bit to really create some more separation. So that game wasn't as close as it was, um, you know, at the end. Yeah, and even – I'm not necessarily demanding that they throw the deep ball constantly here, but get some more wheel routes involved. Like, continue to get, you know, our slot receivers, Hunter Renfro involved. Um, Would have been nice, but, I mean – Let's let's maybe take a minute to congratulate our players. I I just saw our playmakers continue to once again show um, their depth of talent. Deion Kane had a wonderful game. Um, he really is, you know, the Mike Williams um, incarnate replacement, if you want to call him that, um, for this season for us. I think we had some questions earlier on in the year. Um, he just needed some time to develop and really get his hands, um, you know, where he needed to be. So. He's been great. Jordan Leggett continues to exceed expectations for the year and be pretty clutch. And, um, you know, even Sharon Peak at times in this game, he didn't have any necessarily like deep, deep catches, but he was he was definitely making plays and he caught a couple balls, I think. Yeah, it's really great to see the young guys step up, especially a guy like Kane. Um, you know, with Peak and Scott didn't seem to be a really big factor in this game. Part of it could have been they recovered a lot because that's who they were focusing on. You know, Scott still uh, coming off an injury. Uh, but what, what that does is it helps, even if the attention is on them, it helps to free up the other guys who are more than capable. Like you said, Hopper, he continues to make big catches. He has gotten so much better as the season uh, has gone along. I'm wondering if he couldn't have a really big breakout year next year in his senior year. Um, I think about the talent that we have. You talk about Mike Williams you know, possibly coming back next year, and then the incoming guys like TJ Chase and possibly DeAndre Overton. Um, you know, stack that up against, you know, Scott and McLeod, who didn't play in this game, um, and Kane and Trevion Thompson and Hunter Renfro. I mean, the, it, the list goes on and on and on. And all these guys just step up, and they make catches, and they make things happen. Nobody's a disappointment. Nope. I mean, it's truly WRU. We're really in the golden age of receivers at Clemson, and um, it's nice to see that we've got a quarterback that can get them the ball. Um, 
you know, I think the the big thing it's going to take against North Carolina is being able to get them get them those passes without throwing interceptions and without in the running game fumbling the ball or you know when we do get those out routes to Hunter Renfro, um, not trying to get a couple extra yards and having that result in a strip like it did against Wake Forest. Well, and apparently we know they're trying to strip the ball. We all knew that South Carolina was going to try to strip the ball in this game, and so that shouldn't be an excuse of why there's so many fumbles. Like you know what's going to happen. They have nothing else to play for. So hold on to the ball. Don't don't. Go after that extra yard if you know they're going to be ripping, trying to and rip that ball. And you already have the first down. Yeah, exactly. we got to play smart because this doesn't mean that a UNC team isn't going to try to strip the ball after seeing this just because they're better than South Carolina and they can go uh, you know, toe-to-toe better than, than South Carolina can. No, if they see a weakness, that's what these good coaches and good teams are going to do. They're going to prey on it. And we just showed that we have some weaknesses. Uh, yeah, there was the one uh, missed handoffs. That doesn't count as a strip. But aside from the three fumble balls we put on the ground, the one that we got back, the rest, they were trying to strip the ball the whole game. Get, I, you know, recognize that and make an adjustment. I remember in the August fall practice slate um, when they were showing some video from – from the practice fields, Tony Elliott had on this bright purple boxing glove, and he had all the running backs run by, and he was like punching the ball, punching at it. I hope this week, you know, they they went through that whole cycle with everyone on the offense. Just ball protection is so crucial in these games where a single possession could um, ruin your season. So, I mean, we, we'll stop harping on turnovers here. I mean, I think it had, we've won the turnover margin. Um, most of our games this year, actually, we've been very impressive when we lost it. I feel like Clemson is, we're 6-0 and and we've actually lost the turnover margin. And other teams that have had something like um, a plus, or, yeah, plus two turnover margin um, are something like two and three um, elsewhere in the country. Well, so. the, the funny thing is, it hasn't really been fumbles leading up into the South Carolina game, really. I think it's probably, the, we fumbled more in that game than we had all season. Yeah, It's really been Watson's it. interceptions, which he didn't have in the South Carolina game. And I think that's the one thing that could cost him the Heisman, is, is they may hold that interception number against him. Um, I think if he goes out next week and has a great game, flawless, uh, a, a flawless yeah. game against North Carolina, wins the ACC championship, we're still the number one team in the country, um, I, I think that's going to weigh a lot more heavily than the interceptions, but that, that is one uh, issues that he's had this year that is a little cause for concern. Um, but again, you know, get through next week, bowl practice, and, and I think a lot of those things can be corrected. But overall, Watson, he is, man, again, I'll say it, what a special player. He has been carrying the team uh, pretty much all year long. He is so smooth in letting plays develop. It's not just his arm, it's the letting the plays develop and his great vision of the field, and just how he glides down the field when he's running the ball. And it's so awesome not to be worried or scared anymore that he's going to take a hit, because we've seen him do that <coughs> enough this year. We're not worried about his knees. We're not worried about him getting injured. Um, he, he is a difference maker. And announcers all season, uh, TV color guys have been saying it all year, if you have a quarterback like this, you can win a national championship. Absolutely. Uh, well, let's flip it to the other side of the field. Uh, defense. So apparently, I'm not sure actually what our, our preparation was for this. I mean, I th- I thought going in, it should have been all about, let's stop Farrow Cooper, let's make them beat us on the ground. Um, and I think in the first half, we generally contained them. I think it, they didn't score any points in the first quarter. Um, we got a little shaky in the second. I don't know, second quarter. I don't know if that related to uh, the scrambling ability of Orth or anything else, but if that's the case, Marquise Williams, 
could be could be troublesome for us. Yeah, no. So we thought South Carolina might come out and throw the the, the playbook at us on offense, but it, it seemed like they ran what we thought they would. You know, they had a clear game plan. Orth was going to pass, uh, Nunez was going to rush, and Cooper was going to be there in the Wildcat. And I don't know. I didn't see a lot of confusing. Um, you yeah. know, uh, formations or plays to me. So, yeah, like you says, uh, like you said, Marquise Williams says hello. We we're having trouble against running quarterbacks. Uh, Nunez showed that. Worth um, even with that long run NC where State. where Bullware was out of position and, and, and missed on that pitch. Um, yeah, there there are still a lot of concerning things on the defense. There's been a lot of up and downs. Um, you know, big plays continue to haunt us. <laughs> and as much as again, as much as I hate to say it, Ben Bulware is he's really turning into a liability. He's missing assignments. He's in the wrong lanes. We've got to figure out something at this linebacker position. Uh, I mean, everyone saw he was wearing a shoulder brace. It, Quacking Tiger talks about it. He thinks he might have separated his shoulder against Wake. Um, with the type of play that Ben Bulware brings, I feel like he can't. I don't. I just feel like that would be anathema to Ben Bulware to have that type of injury, and it it stifles his style of play. But but it doesn't it, it doesn't change his it, it, that doesn't affect his misassignments and being in the wrong lane. Like that that's the mental part of the game, not the physical part of the game. He's still hitting people. That's it could just stopping. be he's got a distraction there, right? And you know the, but, the way he plays needs to be completely dialed in, but. Um, it's just something that has continued to plague him all year long. And, and listen, I'll say this about many other aspects of the game uh, of this season: get through the UNC game, give Bullwear some time to heal and to improve, because he he made some improvement last year during those few mm-hmm. weeks off. Um, and then also give some of our young linebackers time to progress. Those three weeks in bowl preparation is going to be huge. You know, after seeing Jalen Williams play well last week. Um, I was really surprised not to see him more in this game, especially with some of the ways that Bulware struggled. But, um, yeah, we just need time to practice, get through North Carolina, and this is a position that has to improve. If you're Coach Brent Venables, do you consider a rotation here for the UNC game? Listen, I, I don't know. Do you change something, make a drastic change like that this late in the season? Those coaches know better than we do. Um, how best to utilize their players. They see them every day in practice. And, I mean, not seeing Jalen Williams more uh, really leads me to believe that Bulware is the best guy for the job right now. Uh, I find it hard to question that. I'm not going to question Venables. Um, but at the same time, we can point out that being a weakness because I think it clearly is. Uh, my question is not so much for this year, but next year, you know, can, can a Trey Lamar come in and make an impact right away? Can we land five-star Rashawn Smith and have him come in and make an impact right away at the linebacker position? Because I think we're going to need somebody to come in hot and step up. Yeah, clearly this is uh, a thin position group for us this year. Um, we've got, you know, a number of guys behind them developing, but uh, secondary, I think we're in good shape going forward. We've got a plan there. And defensive line has been strong. You've got Christian Wilkins. As a freshman, um, you know he'll he'll be there every year again as well on the end. So, uh, yeah, linebacker is one where we'd like to see some improvement going into next season. But in terms of the you know this this coming week, it's this is your whole season at this point. Um, I feel like Brent Venables, he's a linebackers guy. Um, you know, I'm hopeful that Bullware is going to be able to get on the men this week, and we'll find the right scheme or assignments to limit what North Carolina is doing, but. Marquise Williams is that he's he's multiple. He's gonna he gives you um, he can burn you in multiple different ways, and um, we're gonna need really a, a super disciplined play there. 
maybe we do need to see some some types of rotations. And I'm not saying get Bulware out of the game, but um, you know, what can we do to try to limit Marquise? Well, overall? yeah, we need somebody to be a ball hawk, um, and whether that's uh, Jalen Williams, Dorian O'Daniel. Um, you know, especially if our front four get pressure and flush Williams out of the pocket, he gets into that, you know, pass that f- first level into the second level of the defense. We need somebody to make a stop. Um, yeah, we need linebackers to play smart. And again, it's been a weakness all year. Um, and it's one of the things that we, we desperately need to improve on moving forward. We've got three games left, possibly three games left, and they're all going to be <coughs> against really, really good teams. Everything needs to be clicking. You can cover up for minor weaknesses, but major glaring weaknesses, it's, it's tough against really, really good teams. Well, elsewhere on this defense, I thought we had a fairly above-average game. Um, you know, I think Kenzie Alexander continues to be a phenomenal cornerback. Uh, we were hopeful there was a tipped ball at one point. He was in the vicinity. We were hopeful he was going to come down with a pick. I think their first pass of the game, he could have come close. I... I predicted his pick uh, this week. I predicted a lot of things this year and been wrong pretty much every time. So Adrian Baker got a pick, though. And that was I a mean, thing of beauty. And you yeah. could kind of see him. When that ball was in the air, you could tell he was going to go up, and, and you could just see him coming forward. And yeah, what a really nice play. Um, Tankersley gave up some plays in this game, which was uh, unusual for him considering how he's been playing lately. Um, but otherwise, you know, with our secondary and our safeties, you know, especially us giving up these big, big plays, what I will say is we haven't been giving up a lot of home run plays. I love the way our safeties don't give up and chase people down between TJ Green and J. Ron Curse. Even if guys are breaking out for long runs, they are constantly uh, never giving up and, and, and bringing people down from behind. So, I mean, that's a sign of a team that cares and, and never gives up. That's a sign of a team that can win a national championship. Yeah, we really haven't seen the likes of Jaron Curse or even TJ Green have, you know, tons of breakout plays in like the Syracuse wake or South Carolina game. But uh, it's really just a matter of consistency. And when there have been big stretches of big run plays, those guys have largely contained those and stopped those from becoming long touchdowns. So um, it's been good to see, hopefully in, you know, one of these upcoming games, we'll, we'll start to see just what, you know, Jaron Curse is capable of. Maybe he can make sort of like a DeAndre McDaniel type, um, you know, final act of his Clemson career. Yeah, because we um, want to see him hit somebody. I want to see some that's, shoulders that's separated game. by Jaron. He's huge. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, you know, across the board, I thought defense did okay, but scoreboard-wise, 32 points. They um, weren't helped by turnovers, and that last drive of the game where South Carolina went down and scored, that was garbage. That was a disappointing way to end a, a win against a rival, go 12-0 and be the number one team in the country. At the same time, yeah. A win is a win, especially on the road against your rival with so much at stake. Going to stop complaining about that here. You know, we're lucky to get out of there with a win and, you know, overall happy about it. <coughs> yeah, let's just get better this week and get back to our winning ways. I mean, I think I take solace or confidence in how we played against Florida State. Um, we, you know, generally right before that against um, NC State, not as much against Miami, that was dominant, but against NC State had kind of a lapsed performance on D, came back and outside of one, you know, beginning of the game, long touchdown to Dalvin Cook, shut them down the rest of the way. Um, I'm hopeful we've got the health, the depth, and, um, you know, what's left in the tank from these guys to be able to put up one, one other big performance before they get basically three, three to four weeks off uh, before bowl season starts. But um, anyway, you know, confident Brent Venable is going to dig deep get all he can out of these guys. We're going to take care of business against the heels. Can we talk about my favorite subject? Uh, we already hit beer. 
Talking about special teams. Oh. Yeah, let's do it. What is up with the extra points? Hugel continues to be solid on field goals. Makes them look effortless. They're down the middle every time. Why can't he PATs hit? PATs are too easy. Why can't he hit an extra point? How about this? Let's false start every time. Twice. Move it back. Move it back. Point. Then he's in his zone. Put him on like the left hash. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, or go for two every time. There's been some chatter this week uh, um, about would the coaches consider using Lakeup um, at that extra point um, as the kicker for if the If he misses points. one more, I'd say let's try it. Yeah, and yeah, I don't. I mean, is it him missing it, or is it is it the low kick? Some are they're low. They're being right? blocked, but they, I mean, this one was what wide wide right in this game. Yeah, I think more so they've just been low kicks, the ones he's had blocked. Um, whether or not they should use Lakeup, I know you like to have chemistry between your place kicker and your holder and your long snapper and stuff like that. So I'm not sure if I see that happening uh, because the last thing you want to do as well is mess with the confidence in the psyche of your place kicker. Uh, so to, <laughs> oh, yeah. to, you know, to show that you're not confident in him in, you know, to kick chip shots, to, to get yeah. one point is maybe, um, you know, it's, it's worth leaving me in there just to build that confidence. So you get those three points time and time again. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just really odd that that's happening. He's one, a freshman thing, though. <laughs> so. Yeah. There's room to improve. I'm confident. Um, anyway, Let's hope we're scoring, scoring so many touchdowns that um, he'll just get more practice this coming weekend. So, I mean, elsewhere on special teams, what I saw that was really curious. It seemed like in the second half, we just were giving up the ghost on returning punts overall. We're I'm not just, sure if that was first half or second half. It was some I think point it was throughout the game. Um, it was, there's at least two in the row around the middle of the game where maybe we thought they were going to fake a punt and there's nobody was back there to cover it. Yeah, you know, I'm kind of fine with that, you know, considering all the muffs that we had this year. Um, but I don't know, something weird was going. We've seen a lot of weird special teams play lately. Yeah, very bizarre. Um, and I guess we had Bullware on the hands team on the final onside kick. What is that about? Does he really have? Is he one of the best? Has <laughs> one of the best <coughs> eleven pairs of hands? I mean, he's on the team. He's like a badger, though. I mean, he'll find his way into that pile and get that ball. They so. kicked it right to him, too. I mean, <laughs> I probably would have done hey, that, too, considering hey, his injury. Yeah, he had the right assignment. He was in the right lane for that one. Yeah. Uh, well, we're glad he came down with that. Didn't have to gain any more gray hairs. Uh, but, Ben, give us, give us maybe your final thoughts on the South Carolina game, and we'll, we'll move on. Like I said, a win is a win. We're still the number one team in the country. It was clear we were the better team. We all wanted to blow out. Um, and there were a lot of tense moments, but at the end of the day, we came out with a win. I want to quickly say, you know, kudos uh, to the Clemson fan base uh, for making the trip and painting the cockroach orange. Um, we know how difficult a place uh, Columbia is to go to for a football game. We know how classic, uh, classless the Gamecock fan base is. Um, we didn't see a lot of any really dirty player jawing from the players, so I really respect them and Sean Elliott for that. But you know, the a little fan- bit early on. But yeah, but that's natural in a rivalry game. We, we, we've seen that in other games this year, um, especially Miami. But, you know, we're hearing things again about their fans throwing stuff at our players. We've seen them countless times on TV now uh, flipping There's the There's video of a kid, South Carolina student, peeing in the stadium up in the stands. Yeah, so there you go. There's the South Carolina fan base in a nutshell. Um, but you know what? You know, they had this distant memory of, of the five streak. Um, holding up those five fingers. Uh, but again, they throw it up. It's a distant memory. But guys, keep those five fingers raised high. Uh, because now, you know, 
that's the amount of tickets you're trying to sell before the game because you can't bear to watch your team. That's that's you burying your face in your hands because of how bad you lost. Um, those five fingers represent how many weeks we've been at number one this year, um, something that you've never known. Uh, and I've got one finger for you, and it's not my middle finger. It's my <laughs> index finger holding up number one because we're the number one team in the country. And at the end of the day, we've all forgotten about your five streak. And we're looking at a Clemson team that's poised to possibly win a national championship. Yeah, good to get our second in a row. Um, future prospects are bright. We mentioned who's coming back in 2016. Uh, let's keep Dabo at the helm, and I think this streak will continue. we got great talent coming in. Um, I guess for me, I mean, Bulwer's health is a pretty big main concern coming into this week. Um, our defense's ability to shut down a mobile quarterback as well. We already touched on that, but... I actually think, I mean, outside of what we saw in that Oklahoma game, this is going to be the coaching job of Venable's Clemson career this weekend. What is he able to do against um, probably our toughest offense that we'll face all year? I thought Notre Dame had a really good offense, and we found a way to shut them down and contain them. We did the same thing with Florida State, um, but I think the stakes are much higher this week. It's championship week. Um, you know, we have a chance to do something this team's never done, and that's at least in the BCS era and the, the playoff era, and that's played for a national championship. Um, so, yeah, I'll put I'll put that on Brent Venables this week, but I am confident he can figure that out. Um, that's why he's one of the top paid coordinators, and uh, he's now in consideration for uh, Defensive Coordinator of the Year, that award. Um, so looking forward to that. Um, we'll definitely have a UNC preview for you guys midweek. Uh, and I'll just end my final thoughts on USC with, you know, just thank goodness we got Deshaun at the helm. And we've got all, all the playmakers we have. Clemson can beat you so many ways. Um, we didn't really have our vintage 500-yard performance this week, but um, Deshaun got it done on the ground and through the air. He'll continue to do that, and we've got a number of ways to beat teams. So, um, yeah, pretty pretty pleased with the offense. Well, it was still 515 yards, but it was about 400 Deshaun Watson. Right, exactly. <laughs> I think in the past few weeks we've put up like 500 rushing or 500 passing, but... Anyway, a good number. Let's continue that this week. And, um, you know, 37 points, nothing to sneeze at. I feel like we might need more to beat North Carolina. Um, could be a shootout. No, it'll definitely be a shootout. It's going to be a, a game of who can outscore each other. Um, but who knows? The defense could surprise us. Absolutely. Well, uh, let's flip over to round ball. Uh, Clemson basketball is now 4-2. and two. Um, They dropped one tonight in the Big Ten ACC Challenge to, at Minnesota. Um, we don't have too much to break down of that game, but we watched the very end here this evening when recording. Uh, but on a brighter note, uh, we defeated Rutgers in Las Vegas over the weekend. Uh, prior to that, had our lights shot out by UMass. I think we were recording our last podcast um, as that game was going down. So um, overall, it's kind of been highs and lows over the last week for Clemson. Uh, really nice to see that Rutgers win. I think tonight uh, Clemson jumped out to an early lead. We had some pretty good three-point shooting, uh, which really was not our signature as a team last year, um, even in the early stretch of this year. So um, anyway, good to see, but losing to Minnesota on the road, I don't know that that's something you, you should hang your head about, but um, we were not able to protect the lead, which is unfortunate. No, and Minnesota's not a great team. Uh, yeah, <coughs> a little disappointing that we weren't able to pull out the win tonight. We we didn't get to watch a lot of it, um, so we're going to have to read a little bit more about it to figure out exactly what went wrong. But on the surface, uh, it looked like the three-point shooting was good. Uh, maybe they were beating us inside, which would uh, you know, not be normal 
for a Clemson team because they, they their three-point percentage didn't seem like they took a lot of shots from three. Um, so, again, we don't know a lot what happened this game. Saw the end of it. We saw a Clemson team with a lead on the road, let it whittle away and not be able to come back. The, the last couple plays of the game were just kind of sloppy um, when we thought we might have a chance to come back and win that game. Um, but overall, we're 4-2 and two at this point in the season. We don't have any bad losses. We've played some decent competition and, and played well in some games. Uh, didn't really play well against UMass. Again, you know, that team just came out and they were almost 52% for three, which you're not going to beat anybody when they shoot that well, especially when we get out of playing our game and try to match their threes and only shoot 22%. Um, uh, but some of the positives, you know, Blossom Games really looked great this year he's going to be our leader all year long avery holmes has shaken off a slow start and he's been shooting really well lately um landry noko i'm not sure how much scoring we're going to get from him this year consistently game in and game out i think it's going to be something where against certain matchups he's going to be able to do well but again he fouled out in, in the uh in the game tonight against minnesota and foul trouble is going to be an issue for him all year long i don't think he's going to grow out of that yeah i mean um I think even tonight he had foul trouble late against Minnesota. Um, you know, it's kind of what, what to expect from him. It's nice, though, to have Jute off the bench to be able to supplement. But it'd be nice, I think, to be able to cycle both of them in at the same time, kind of have a twin tower thing going on, um, if possible, just to show opposing defenses some interesting looks. But again, that's not where our scoring is going to come from like it needs to. City Jute is going to be good on – he's improved on defense. He's probably improved on offense, too, but – He's a complimentary option, but we're not going to be able to depend on him for offense. And part of the problem is is that overall we're really not a great three-point shooting team. And when we get into games where we get three happy, you know, tonight it obviously went well. You know, Roper, I had it in my notes before this game. It's funny, uh, before the game tonight to talk about. He was 3 of 20 on field goals his last two games. And I was thinking, man, he really needs to take on less of a scoring role. Um, and focus on the distributing the ball on offense. And then, lo and behold, he comes into this game and leads the team in scoring uh, 25 points, 5 and 9 from 3. Um, but, again, it's consistency. And Roper hasn't proven to be consistent, consistent throughout his career. We have guys that can shoot a 3, but not with confidence every time. It was good to see them put up as many points as they did on the road. Uh, it was a 89-83 loss tonight, but... You know, where's the defense? What happened to the yeah. defense? We don't see teams put up 89 on Clemson. I think part of this is we're starting to see the, the increase in the pace of play lead to higher scoring. Um, but, you know, we're not going to be able to keep on offense. Overall, the defense is going to need to improve for us to, to win games. Yeah, I mean, it's fluctuated. I think first couple games of the year, we were containing teams well under 50. We only allowed 58 to Rutgers. UMass puts up 82, Minnesota puts up 89. Granted, it was a lot of back-and-forth fouling going on at the end of this game, but, um, you know, it, I think the Clemson team's still finding its footing and trying to figure out its identity. And um, I don't know. Uh, we'll figure this out, what team we've got on our hands. I think they're probably better defensively than they showed in their two losses. Um, and maybe we're still trying to figure out, like, who, who is the alpha dog from a scoring standpoint on this team? <clears throat> I mean, I think Blossom Game and Grantham give you different looks. Um, but I actually would like to see Avery Holmes start to establish himself as a scoring threat. Um, we know he can move the rock around, but uh, I feel like, you know, it's it, we need some points from our point guard. Yeah. Um, and if Clemson scores 70 in a game, if we score over 70 or above, we should win. Uh, just it's the type of the, the defense that we play. 
Uh, it lends itself to that. So I was really surprised it was such a high-scoring game tonight. I think you're totally right about Holmes. I think he needs to really step in and be that third option because I don't think we'll be able to rely on Noko night in and night out to put up points. And I think we're definitely not going to be able to depend on Roper night in and night out to put up as many points, <coughs> especially like he did tonight. Yeah, I mean, Again, he one was, out of every two or three games. like Yeah, and that's fine. But you can't great. rely on that. So Blossom game, has, he's shown that every single night he's going to come out and be our pretty much our best player. Dante Grantham, uh, he's improved a lot since last year. It's good to see him. It looked like he, he's put on a little muscle coming into this season. Um, but they need to be our number one and number two scoring options on offense this year. The, both guys can get inside, and both guys can shoot from the outside. Yeah, um, I think what this means for the Big Ten ACC Challenge, we haven't looked at scores across the leagues um, elsewhere, but... ACC was dominant for about a decade. I think 99 to 08, um, we won all of those years. And in the past seven years, um, we've not won. So um, hopefully we can get off the snide as a conference. You know, we've added Syracuse and Pitt and Louisville. So you would think by adding those, those you know, high-octane teams, we'd be able to do this. But um, Ohio State's added Maryland and Rutgers, yeah. um, Maryland being the more solid basketball team overall. Ten. Uh, I'm sorry, the Big Ten. That's the Ohio State homer and you coming out? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> We're um, saying the Big Ten is only Ohio State. <laughs> pretty much. But uh, anyway, yeah, Ohio State's uh, conference, the Big Ten. Um, yeah, I mean, I. anyway, it'll be interesting to see how this year pans out. Yeah. Um, Louisville has that dark cloud scandal over their heads, but they're still a solid team. Um, well, and so does Syracuse. They're in turmoil right now. So the additions yeah. to the ACC, uh, obviously Notre Dame, but they lost... Uh, to Alabama uh, last night. And then you got Louisville uh, in their scandal and Syracuse in their scandal. I think across the board, all these teams were adding. Uh, John Swafford has not looked good in this. Syracuse doesn't belong. <coughs> Pitt, yeah, yeah, they're a decent um, you know, school in basketball. And Pitt's like above football. average. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so we'll take them, but I don't know. Uh, overall, aside from getting our numbers up as a conference, um, not a lot of value added so far. Yep. Well, moving on from basketball, I mean, we'll, we'll continue to keep keep our eye on the team. Um, you know, four and two at this point. Still a lot of games to be played before the ACC conference um, play starts. Uh, we'll take a look at the schedule too. Figure out you know over the holidays um, when these marquee matchups will come come around for us. Um, any idea when the South Carolina game is, Ben? I believe it is coming up in a couple weeks. We can look that up right now. Um, you know, I guess the final kind of thought on basketball here, South Carolina, we actually planned on December 18th, um, and that's in Columbia. Um, we are 4-2 and two in the year, but we've lost to two good teams in UMass and Minnesota. You know, Minnesota... <laughs> You know, maybe not great on the year, but they are in the Big Ten. And Patino's they, son. They always they always have an opportunity to to be in the NCAA tournament. And the two losses, uh, one in a tournament game to a UMass team that again shot lights out from three, and the other on the road against a Minnesota team that we really did have an opportunity to win. So these losses are different than the losses we've had last year, and we played a lot of good competition very early on in the season. So hopefully, a lot of these young guys and, um, and a lot of the the veterans can learn a lot from these games and use them as uh, you know, opportunities to get better as we move forward. We're going to have, uh, I think, the hardest part of our non-conference schedule is behind us. Um, and so let's you know, just get fresh, work on some things uh, to finish out that non-conference schedule before we go into a very tough ACC schedule. 
Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned certain teams are kind of in down years. I mean, maybe this is the year if Clemson can get some type of tempo as a team together. Uh, we can upset some of those storied programs that are kind of finding their own footing as well. So, Well, and listen, Brad Brownell's teams have, has, have for the most part, always overachieved. You know, that's, of course, that's easier, easy to do when you're you know, selected to be like you know, 14th, finished 14th in the ACC. Uh, but we've been able to finish at the middle of the pack when we've been selected uh, preseason <laughs> to finish at the Excuse bottom. Me. So, um, yeah, I, I know people are down on him, but, again, early on in the season, the losses haven't been terrible. The wins have been pretty good. Let's see how the rest of the season plays out. Um, the different Clemson team who's winding out its season is the men's soccer program. Um, Clemson has had a pretty good run of late this year. Um, and over the weekend, we defeated UC Santa Barbara. I think they're the – Santa Barbara is the Gauchos, I believe. Um, the Banana Slugs are Santa Cruz. Um yeah. Anyway, Santa Barbara, <laughs> they play soccer. We beat them 3 to 2. Creative mascots out here in California. Seriously. Uh we beat them 3 to 2 in the Sweet 16 at Riggs Field to advance to the Elite 8. Um, that game is this Friday night at Riggs Field. So if you're in the area, definitely try to make it down to that game. Uh, they take on Maryland, former ACC team, hated rival. Um and actually if you look at the Elite 8, half the teams are from the current ACC um, configuration. Clemson, Boston College, Wake Forest, and Syracuse. Um, if you throw Maryland into the mix, former ACC, it's kind of a ACC-tastic um, event this year. So um, I feel like with this sport and several others, the ACC just continues to reign. Um, you look at lacrosse with like Virginia, North Carolina, Duke, Syracuse now. Um, lacrosse, they're at the top of the game. Soccer, uh, Syracuse won the cross-country national championship. So kind of these Olympic sports and sort of secondary sports, um, the ACC tends to do pretty darn well. Yeah, there's not much I can say about lacrosse. Um, it's like polo without a horse. But, uh, yeah, I mean, these other, you know, you know, aside from football, the ACC has really been coming on in, in that. Uh, but then also basketball, obviously powerhouse year in, year out. Baseball, ACC is a very good baseball conference. And then soccer, you know, this is the fourth biggest sport um, so I think this is something to really be proud of. And across the board, the ACC is a really strong conference. So, you know, we worried several years ago about, you know, when, when Texas was kind of taking over the Big 12 and we worried about all these con the conferences um, splitting up and was the ACC going to survive and did, was Clemson going to go to the Big 12. This really goes to show you that from top to bottom, um, especially as the downfall of the SEC in football, uh, it's not just about football. It's these other sports, too, that, that matter. Uh, so... Again, uh, to see Clemson be really good in soccer, be in the Elite Eight, that's something to be proud of as a Tiger fan. Uh, you know, I'm not going to be complaining about being good in soccer. I don't think anybody else will be. I think you're going to see a lot of um, Clemson fans watching and paying attention to how this soccer team finishes out the season here in the playoffs. Because think about it. Two major sport titles in one year. That's a real possibility. Yeah, I think you start to – over the years you've seen that from programs like even like Duke or Stanford or Texas, where in every collegiate athletic endeavor, you know, they're, they're in those sweet 16 or, you know, competing for a national title. Um, we've just replaced our coach on the baseball team. You mentioned Brad Brownell is trying to rebuild our basketball program. Dabo's done what he's done. And um, the soccer program has gone through a change in the last five years as well. We're starting to see that bear fruit here. So um, I think for Dan Rad, I mean, not all of this is his doing necessarily, but I feel like as a complete athletic school, we're 
probably at the high water mark at least as as long as I've been you know going to Clemson or caring about Clemson since the late nineties. Well, Dabo gets all the credit. Uh, for football, um, Drad is going to start to get some credit um, for d- what what decision he makes with Brad Brownell in the basketball program, uh, and then having a hand at the facilities there, uh, absolutely in the baseball program, and then the continued success of the soccer program. Uh, so I, listen, I know a lot of people don't aren't necessarily in love with Drad, uh, but there are a lot a lot of exciting things happening with Clemson athletics. Um, and it's great for it not to just be football. It's great to year long, you know, all you know, year round, have teams that we can follow and get excited about. Yeah, and you know, we're starting to see more athletes make it into the World Cup team and you know, be pro golfers, that kind of thing. That's a lot of fun to follow you around. Yeah, uh, we can tell you, you know, I'm an old man, an old alum. It's always exciting to see. Even a guy like Trevor Immelman, who's kind of a, a huge Clemson fan, always tweet about Clemson. That's awesome. So. Yeah, it's good, good to stuff. see guys like C.J. Spiller and Sammy Watkins say things about Clemson during Rivalry Week. You know, I don't have uh, really an NFL team uh, that I grew up loving and follow, but I follow a lot of Clemson players in the NFL. That's really what that and fantasy football is what really keeps me interested in the NFL. Um, you know, the same thing in baseball and basketball. It's great to follow Trevor Booker and K.J. McDaniels. You know, it's, it's awesome. So the, the fact that we can be strong – and these sports across the board, I think it's fantastic. The only one request that I would have to derat at this point is, please add softball. Clemson needs softball. <laughs> Sounds good. Is there, I guess, the way it works, we'd have to forgo a different sport to be able to add Something softball. to do with Title IX. Yeah. Um, well, we'll figure that out on a different podcast. Um, thanks for sticking with us, guys, tuning in. Expect an ACC championship game preview uh, around midweek. We appreciate the listens. Appreciate you guys sharing it with your friends. Um, We've seen our listener counts grow, so um, clearly you've been telling people. That's awesome. Uh, Thank you very much, and we will talk to you midweek. Go Tigers.